This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 162. Joel Hollingsworth and Will Shelton here with you once again. Appreciate you tuning in. The Vols beat the UAB Blazers Saturday night in Neyland Stadium 30-7. They moved to 4-5 and five on the season after a disconcerting 1-4 start. And they're now two games away from bowl eligibility with only three games to go. Uh, all of those, I think, are probably winnable. We'll uh, we'll get into more. We'll get more into that a little bit later on. Uh, but first, about uh, UAB, the Blazers, uh, kind of a mystery heading into the game because they were six and one, but they hadn't played anybody. So uh, some of us, maybe just me, uh, were a bit wary about how good they might be, and it turns out uh, they weren't very good, uh, which is good for us. Uh, but um, Bryce Thompson, he tied a uh, single-game school record with three interceptions. He had them all in the first half. Uh, Brent Simaglia was Mr. Money, hitting uh, three field goals, including one from 53 yards out. And that actually brings me to my first question for Will. Will, uh, pretend we're going old-school West Side Story-type rumble. And we're recruiting guys from Tennessee's team to uh, go with us. Although, if we're going to make it realistic, probably we're not going. We just want these guys to go instead of us, right? Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna send Jawan Jennings first. That's just a given, right? Sure. Okay. But after that, how many guys after Jennings do you pick before you get to Samaglia? Because I'm thinking none. It's gonna start snapping my fingers there. Uh, <laughs> so it's been a while since I've seen. Uh, uh, when you're a jet, you're a jet. Uh, yeah, I mean, once once I feel like there's some requisite offensive lineman selections there. Uh, they're big guys, but, but they're slow, man. You just need attitude. You need attitude. Yeah, <laughs> they're slow. They're maybe not great at a fight. No, I I agree. The the fist pump, uh, spectacular on uh, Samaglia. Uh, shout out to Josh Ward on Twitter had the uh, automaglia, which I thought was great. I've seen it picked up a couple of different places that is uh, so far today. So I think that's uh, that's a winner, and that's going to stick. Uh, I think, you know, uh, tattoo on a kicker, strong, mm-hmm. yep. makes makes me feel. Um, I guess it depends on what kind of tattoo it is, but in Samaglia's case, uh, it gives me extra confidence. Uh, that's uh, that he's gonna go get the job done. What is his and tattoo? Do you know? I I don't know. Indeed, it's on his arm, so you know you can you can see it there. Uh, but I don't um, I don't know exactly what it is. I have to do some some research on that. But it's it's enough to uh, <clears throat> to to give me some additional confidence. And it's weird because Tennessee, like we're just not really playing close games. I know Mississippi State was was close until the final dagger there. And he hit two kicks in that game, but uh, I thought having a great kicker would be a real asset in a season when Tennessee's margins were expected to be much more thin. And the margins are still thin. We're just we're just not playing any close games. So, you know, when you think about this guy and, and making memories, there's not really one that super stands out except he, he hit a big kick at Florida two years ago. Uh, in a game Tennessee ultimately lost. So there's not, you know, he doesn't have a, a big iconic memory the way guys like Michael Pilardi or, or some of these other guys that have come through here have. But yeah, I mean, it's no joke to say this guy is, this is right now, 
let's not jinx him, but right now, this is the best kicker we've had around here uh, in at least this decade, both in terms of consistency and ability to make 53 yards on a cold night look really, really easy. See, the thing I like best about him is not just that he's a kicker. The thing I like best about him is that he's a kicker that is, he's basically a linebacker that's kicking, I think. This dude, he just looks scary to me. I mean, most people look scary to me because I'm like the opposite of tough, but uh, he just he just looks like he could uh, he could whip somebody. So anyway, the other thing is, uh, we should do a uh, guess the tattoo or guess the player, super close ups of just tattoos, and figure out right. you know which which player does this belong to. I think we should do that. Um, so Brian Mauer also strong in that, uh, yes. in that category. I guarantee you there's, there's a subset of the Tennessee fan base when that guy came in the game there against Florida where people were like, well, I don't know what this is, but it's going to be crazy. And then another subset of the, like the older, older subset of the fan base that was like, uh Oh, <laughs> I don't like it. Quarterback's got a tattoo. I don't like it. So, uh, it's, it's the same guy who complained about the dude's hair. What, what was that for Nebraska or what, what team was that? Penn State, yeah, the, Penn the State, uh, yeah. veiled racism uh, of, yeah. uh, of it, uh, at Penn State. See, I mean, we had we covered all of this ground. It will never be covered as spectacularly as it was with Tyler Bray uh, in terms of tattoo quality, but you couldn't see the the all caps B R A Y start on his back. You can't see that during the game, <laughs> so we, we, you know, that's that's kind of. Uh, the, It'll be a long time before a Tennessee player has a more memorable tattoo than that. But with Samaglias, at least you get to see it during the game. Yeah. Did we ever figure out, like, what age he got that? Because it's, you know, you don't get tattoos when you're eight, but that seems like something you would do when you're eight. (laughs) Right. So so maybe nine. Yeah. That's a good good question. Somewhere between that and uh, getting pulled over by the uh, whatever the Tennessee wildlife uh, for for not being safe on a jet ski. Yeah, somewhere in that. What was the word? Yeah, what was the word that they used for that? He was. Oh, I can't remember. We'll have to look that up. I can't remember that either. I'm, we're talking about Tyler Bray a lot right now because of this like late <laughs> season run and, and what Tennessee's doing uh, against Vegas here historically. Uh, the idiot optimist that year was, uh, you know, uh, because you don't want the quarterback that that loses a chicken on a jet ski like like you know you want the guy that. <laughs> It's, it's getting it done out there. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a long time. It's almost 10, 10 years ago next year is the 10th anniversary of Tyler Bray's uh, emergence. That's, uh, that is wild. That is, it's making me feel old. So we're going to, we're going to change the subject. <laughs> so my favorite thing about the UAB, UAB game was uh, that, well, figure, figure out how to say it. It looked like we were in control. I mean, it felt like we were in control the entire time, right? But if you look at the stats, they, you know, we didn't really run away with this thing. Um, the thing was, we had a ton of turnovers. And I guess that is one indication that uh, you're sort of dominating the other team, at least on defense. Um, but it also kind of seemed like we were moving the ball fine. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder if these guys might actually be okay. You know, and we just, we're just, we're just to the point where we, you know, I almost don't even want to say it, but (laughs) it's almost like to the point where we can look good, even when we're really not looking all that good. Do you agree? Disagree? What? 
defensively, that is possible. Um, look, Tennessee uh, this morning is 26th in SP plus defense. So Tennessee is the, that's the first also receiving votes in SP plus defense. So going to have a chance against Kentucky to become a, a top 25 defense uh, by by a metric that I think is just as, as trustworthy as any out there. So uh, we've said for a couple of weeks and, and going to need this to be true to, to get bowl eligible, I, I think. But if you are not going to get above average play at quarterback, then this defense is really going to have its way with you. Uh, and, and that has been true against Mississippi State. It's true against South Carolina. It's true uh, after Tua got hurt against Alabama. And I, I think when we talk about controlling the game, I think it just became clear very quickly. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't see the first few minutes because uh, the old tune-in on the ESPN app was not working for me. It kept telling me the game was, uh, hadn't started yet when it clearly had. It was very infuriating. So uh, shout-out to anyone else who was having that problem. But that was me. Anyway, as soon as, you, as soon as you turn it on, like, defensively, it just was apparent that, like, oh, Tennessee's much better than this team. It, it was like a, like a first-round NCAA tournament game when you're a much higher seed. And you watch those games, and sometimes you can tell that the, the 14 seed is going to be a little frisky. But sometimes the 14 seed is just athletically inferior. And at least for Tennessee's defense against UAB's offense, uh, that was going to be a bad night for those guys. They couldn't block. Um, they couldn't – the quarterback couldn't get enough velocity, I thought, on, on some of his passes – that was working against Conference USA stuff, but was not working against an SEC defense. And Tennessee was just going to do to UAB the same thing they've done to Mississippi State and Alabama without Tua and South Carolina, and hopefully the rest of the year. So defensively, yeah, I think Tennessee is at a place now where they can look good even when they're not playing their absolute best. Uh, offensively, I, I don't know. There's still a lot of... Um, a lot of quarterback stuff that uh, uh, sometimes makes me feel really good and other times <clears> makes <throat> me feel uh, just concerned. UAB had a couple dudes on defense. I mean, there, there were a couple of guys I thought were really good players on UAB's defense, and we were seeing Tennessee getting blown up on first and 10 running plays more than we have uh, in, in a while. So um, maybe uh, offensively. Defensively, yes, definitely, and I think that's a story. And I think if Tennessee's going to get to – six wins it's not going to be because they beat teams you know 35 34 it's going to be because the the defense did its job and and at least against kentucky and vanderbilt i think those two teams fall into that same category you're not going to get above average quarterback play from those two teams and i think tennessee's defense is is good enough consistently enough now for us to expect them to really make a positive impact on those games so uh the vols opened as a, a slight underdog to Kentucky. Uh, I thought I saw that it was uh, two and a half uh, at first, although I've seen a story since then that said that their opening line that they saw was Kentucky minus three and a half. Either way, it's a uh, slight favorite for the Wildcats. What do you think? Does that sound about right or no? <laughs> So a couple things. So one, that's saying Vegas, essentially, you think Tennessee and Kentucky are the same, and let's give Kentucky a little home field advantage. Um, I think that is 
if you were just looking at these two teams and, and took away the logos on the helmets and all that stuff, maybe. Um, but historically for us, it's just so hard to look at Kentucky and know that um, – I know they beat us in Lexington two years ago, but so much of that is so easily excusable for us as fans because – that was the end of, of Butch Jones. I mean, that was that was really the full end, I think. I know everybody was kind of assuming it was over uh, when they lost to South Carolina after they lost to – got blown out by Georgia. But I think that Kentucky game was really the kind of, all right, this there is no more coming back from this. Um, and so it doesn't really get to register – uh, this the same way that when uh, when Vanderbilt beat Tennessee in 2012 in Dooley's last game, it kind of like it didn't count in the rivalry for us because we were just glad to be moving on. So, um, to me, the expectation that Tennessee and Kentucky are the same, and you give them three and a half for home field advantage, that that doesn't really fly. We saw a one-dimensional Kentucky team with a really good dimension. I mean, Benny Snell is a really good one dimension. And they scored seven points last year uh, against a, a statistically worse Tennessee defense. Um, and, and that was a Kentucky team that won 11 games. So I, I think – I thought it would be much closer to even. Um, and we've I've written about this a bunch. Uh, Vegas, like everybody else, has no idea what to do with Tennessee this year. Um, still, the closest Vegas has come on any Tennessee game this year is five points. That was Georgia. Uh, they, they, um, the first four FBS games, they overvalued Tennessee by like 62 points. And in the last four games, they've undervalued Tennessee by 61 points. So it's coming and meeting here in the middle. Um, first time Tennessee's covered four weeks in a row since Tyler Bray in 2010. So, uh, I, I think, uh, I just don't know how to say Kentucky is better than Tennessee I just don't like it's not in my DNA to say that and I, I just don't think that's the case here I, I think <laughs> uh, I think I, I was I thought it would be closer to a, a pick or maybe Tennessee favored by you know one and a half or something like that Tyler Bray was hot dogging on a jet ski is what he yes, was doing yes that's correct that's correct that's right again <laughs> Yeah, that's what you want from your quarterback on a jet ski. I don't want safety. I, I want I want adventure. So. That's right. See, I, I like safety. I, I like to sit on my futon. I tell everybody I don't get hurt on my futon. But, yeah, my quarterbacks, they can do some hot dogging. So, yes. yeah, I'm good for that. Uh, I like Tennessee uh, in this game by maybe a touchdown. Um, just, you know, I, I think that everybody's just slow – to the party and recognizing that, you know what? Tennessee's actually getting better this time. I know we've said it uh, many, 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 many times over the past 10 years, but I think it might be true this time. <laughs> of course, I say I think it might be true every time, but uh, they just look better, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I like them by about a touchdown. And uh, that's that's wildly divergent from, um, from Vegas, but... I don't care. So that's what I'm going with. Well, the, uh, the Statsy preview machine also liked UAB by like 16 and a half originally. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it like, did, it's but we... just go, go with your gut, man. Like that's working much better. <laughs> yeah. Well, my gut was wrong on, uh, on the UAB game too, 
But uh, you know, the thing that the Statsy Preview machine is doing this time around is it's actually it's still treating UAB like they're good. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, uh, I actually pr- already wrote the post for Thursday as much as I could. Uh, but the thing is, even though it's it's kind of making an erroneous assumption on UAB, it's spitting out the same result on Tennessee's points uh, as it does when it looks at South Carolina. So it's saying 35 points for uh, for Tennessee. And, uh, you know, it's not just basing that on uh, UAB. It's basing it on South Carolina, too. So, you know, hey, um, I'm feeling pretty good. I don't I'm not feeling 35 points good myself. Uh, but I'll go 28. So that's where I'm at. I think uh, you're on your point about uh, Tennessee's actually getting better. We know we've said this, you know, how many times I think this is where that this Vegas run is, is really helpful to remind us that it is uh, it has been very unusual for Tennessee to play this well relative to competition every week for Tennessee to play this well four weeks in a row. Uh, and, and the other ones, you know, if you go back and think about how we felt when Bray came in, in, in 2010, um, in 2011, people got hurt before Tennessee could string together more than two games and and a quarter, um, 12, there was never anything like that. 13, not really 14 when Dobbs came in the Alabama game that they lost by two touchdowns, South Carolina, Kentucky, they were competitive with the Missouri team that won the East. And then they beat Vanderbilt, and then they rolled Iowa in the bowl game. So that stretch of games was was really a nice, you know, hey, this thing's going in the right direction. For the most part, that that turned out to be correct in 15. They just wet the bed in a number of ways early in that year. But the second half of 15, they, they in 15, they put together two separate um, three-week uh, cover streaks, uh, both in the middle there against Georgia and Alabama, uh, and whoever came after that. And then also later against Missouri and Vanderbilt and uh, and Northwestern, of course, in the bowl game. So a couple of streaks there where you really felt good about things. Um, but there was nothing in 2016 in terms of a number of weeks in a row where you really felt like they were getting better. They were fortunate, maybe, but not necessarily getting better every week. And certainly nothing in the last two years like this. So it, it is... Um, and, and it's unlike the things from 2010 and 2014, it's not driven by a star emerging at quarterback. You know, we, we haven't seen Brian Maurer long enough for that to even be a remote possibility. And we certainly uh, still had some head-scratching moments. You know, look, we're playing, we're playing Garantano. As we've joked about that, he's got a broken thumb thing with <laughs> Tyler Bray again. Garantano clearly not 100%, clearly. <laughs> and so, you know... Uh, this is not happening because one guy came in and made a big difference. That I think is why it's both so surprising and so encouraging is guys are just getting better and not just toe toe and freshmen that are becoming hopefully future stars or a guy like Bryce Thompson that you would hope would, would make a leap here in year two. And he is, but Daryl Middleton, uh, you know, n- names that we haven't, we didn't necessarily think were going to be big parts of, of what Tennessee's doing uh, are, are really getting better uh, every week. And so I am, I am really encouraged by, uh, by that particular trend. And it's all right. I think to say, yeah, this, this set of weeks is more consistent than just about anything that we've seen from this team that didn't involve a quarterback just coming in and, and, you know, changing the whole narrative by themselves. Help me out here. Was there a movie that prominently featured a prosthetic 
where it was like it was like the cheapest Hollywood prop ever. It was this hand that looked like a they strapped a mannequin hand uh, or arm to this guy's. Was it like maybe The Fugitive or some Austin Powers movie or something? I don't know. This, this, might, you might be thinking about Happy Gilmore, uh, where uh, he uh, chubs the guy that played Apollo Creed uh, gets his gets his arm his hand bitten off by an alligator. I think but that's Jesse it. Simons pointed pointed that out, where it's like a like a plywood hand that's uh, just it's just attached there. The fingers don't move. Yes. Uh, none of that stuff. So yeah, that's exactly what Garantano looked like because he was like holding it up for everybody to see, like it was a trophy, you know? Right. <laughs> And it was like, I, I can't stop looking at that thing, you know? Yeah. And I was wondering why. Really? Yeah. I, I was like, why are you lifting that up? It, but he explained that in the press conference. He said it, it throbs if I put it down the, you know, so, yeah. okay. All right, cool. Keep it above your heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh but you're right. He's, he's clear. I mean, if you're rating him for disability, you know, <laughs> you're, you're actually, he's, he's like, you he's know, 60%. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. definitely he's... getting a parking pass. Yes. <laughs> all so, right so uh uh let, let's talk about uh further on uh after kentucky um so on the have you done the um the win total machine yet yeah and i'm actually uh so i had uab at 85 percent, which means i should have picked up uh 15 yeah. uh or 0.15 on the thing i only picked up uh 10 so i'm at 5.7 i was at 5.6 last week which means I, I knocked one of those games down 5%, and I can't tell you which one it was off the top of my head. But I didn't, I didn't see anything there that made me feel uh, because, I don't know. Is it going to be Maurer? Or were they just holding Maurer out because they thought they could beat UAB, which was true with you know, the, the one-armed man here uh, in, or JT Shroud, uh, and that was, that was incredibly true. They won that game easily. So is it definitely going to be Maurer in Lexington? Is is Garantano going to be? You said sixty percent. Is it going to be sixty five percent this week? I don't know. So I just I didn't see anything that made me feel uh, like things were were definitely going in a north direction. In part because I just thought Tennessee was going to handle UAB and they did. So like that, th- there wasn't anything. Uh, I think Saturday was more affirming for you uh, and for anybody that that. Uh, was a believer in what UAB was doing uh, than it was for me. So I'm at I'm at 5.7 today. So what do you remember what I posted? It, did I jump you? I think I you may did. Have. I know. I know. I'm scared. You're at like 5.9, right? Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I, I've taken over the crown of Mr. Optimism. That's right. I can't I can't let go of having lost to Vanderbilt three years in a row. I just like. Uh, that is a bad football team. Uh, and I, Derek Mason is excellent at post-game speeches, and I want to give him full credit for that. As someone who stands up in front of people, he is an excellent speaker, excellent post-game motivator guy. I'm sure that means he's an excellent pre-game motivator guy. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what's the point of motivating after the game? He's motivating the, you know, the rest of his fans, and he's, and he's talking about keeping his job. Lots of people say they want this job. I'm the man that's built for this job. It's a great line. It makes me – I want to ask him so badly – did you pre-plan that or, or is that just, you know, off the cuff? Uh, so there's still a two and six football team. Uh, and I don't, you know, they, they do not appear to be 
nearly as good as the three teams that beat Tennessee the last three years, none of which were particularly good. Uh, so I'm hopeful that some of the things that were true about UAB are just also going to be true about Vanderbilt. But I am, I am, Tennessee's lost three years in a row uh, in that game. Uh, and I, so I am, uh, I'm probably not giving Tennessee enough credit in that matchup because I'm a little gun shy there. Wasn't uh, Kyle Shermer the quarterback in all three of those games? So 16 is the one that uh, that everyone remembers there where he threw for. I'm, I'm looking at this now. Uh, he threw for 416 yards at 12.2 yards per attempt. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, against Tennessee in 16. 17, uh, I, anyone who remembers great detail about that game, God bless you, because that was, as we're talking about with, with coaches being done, like that was Brady Hoke. Uh, Tennessee was uh, was getting ready to try to hire, we didn't know it at the time, but getting ready to try to hire Greg Schiano. We were all excited about that just being over and done with, so didn't pay a whole lot of attention there. Uh, last year, I, I know as that got non-competitive, folks checked out on that, but last year, Shermer, 31 of 35 uh, at 10 and a half yards per Ooh. attempt uh, against, against Tennessee. By the way, my favorite, good. like, well, my favorite dumb stat, uh, like just makes you want to pull your hair out stat, is in the 16 game that Tennessee lost to Vanderbilt, uh, Josh Dobbs was 31 of 34 passing for wow. 340 yards and two touchdowns, and we lost. So, <laughs> like, that's that is that's an amazing uh, passing performance. Like, amazing 31 out of 34. And we lost. And so no one wants to talk about it or remember it. But uh, anyway, yes. So no no Kyle Shermer to to go on the list of what is the most frustrating quarterback to ever torment the University of Tennessee. Uh, even old answers to that question, like Steve Tannehill got like one shot on us and then we got revenge on him. I'm not sure we have been, you know, Shermered uh, quite, quite so well by anyone else. So um, hoops. We, uh, I, I just logged on a little while ago and saw that uh, we got the answer on Euros Plavšik. I'm sure I've said that wrong. Apparently, he uh, was not cleared. And uh, Fulmer said that he was, quote, stunned, uh, actually publicly released a statement. It wasn't even like, hey, uh, can you, you know, I call you, can I give you, can you give me a quote? He actually released a statement so he could say that he was stunned. Anyway, so uh, how how badly does this uh, affect the team's prospects this season, do you think? Well, I think uh, we were still talking about before, and I still think now, and I'm, I'm writing this for the basketball preview stuff on our site this week, that I still think that the question of can Eve Pons play the four, that is that was the most uh, – the most intriguing question is how good is Josiah James really? Sure, five-star, how good is he really? We all want to know that. But I think the most important question was can Eves play the four? Because if he can, you could just do all kinds of things in the post that, that would be helpful in terms of distribution of minutes. Now it's just even more important. Uh, right alongside that is can John Fulkerson stay out of foul trouble? because and stay healthy uh, of course uh, i mean fulkerson getting hurt now would be very bad uh for this team but if he is in a bunch of foul trouble it's kind of the same thing 
So, uh, you know, Tennessee is going to have to rely on either freshmen that were not, you know, five-star kids, guys that we, uh, that, that I don't think Rick Barnes was counting on relying on for heavy minutes in the post this year coming off the bench. Uh, or you're going to have to go to a guy like Zach Kent, uh, who's, who's been on the roster, but really has not, he hasn't been asked to do anything. Um, so yeah, complicates the process. So now, even if you, I, I still think they want to start Bowden and Turner and Josiah James Pons at the four and then Fulkerson, but you, you know, you, you can't play those guys. You got to give bench minutes to somebody. Jalen Johnson's probably not playing the four. So uh, you know, they're going to have to be creative. Uh, and, and this is happening a little more these days in basketball, but it's, it's really funny. I mean, some of the stuff that the Boston Celtics are asking Grant Williams to do in the NBA is somewhat similar to what Tennessee is going to ask guys like Pons to do in his absence, which is, Hey, you are way shorter than these dudes, but Pons is a big fella. You know, he's, he's not going to give up a lot muscularly and he can block shots and, and all that stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's not, not a, not a good day. And I think that everybody kind of just goes to show you never know. I mean, everybody kind of thought Aubrey Solomon was always going to get cleared and he finally did at the last minute. And everybody thought, uh, Roche Plavsic was going to get cleared and he didn't. Uh, and, and the appeal was denied too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, you know, that, that seems done, uh, until next season. And I hate it for him. Cause he just, he just eats an ear. He eats a year of eligibility. He does not eat an ear like Mike Tyson. He eats a year of, of <laughs> eligibility. Uh, but I mean, that sucks, man. Like that's just that's unfortunate for him. Um, I I believe in the case by case basis stuff. Like I I think that's important, and I understand that. But this case, with family being here and Arizona State making a change in coaches from the coach that recruited him to Hurley, that's there now. I mean, it just I don't. Um, I don't get a lot of this. Uh, and I know it's, again, I think case by case is important, but when fans want to say, if he was transferring to Duke or Carolina or Kentucky, he would have been eligible immediately. You know, what I want to say is, yeah, probably. Uh, so uh, it sucks. It's, it's frustrating for everybody involved. And it certainly does not make Tennessee better this year. I think maybe we should send Jennings and Samaglia over there. Um, right. Just put them, them some jackets and teach them some choreography. <laughs> put them on the team, or we could just send them straight to the NCAA offices wherever they are. Um, either way, they get it done, I think. Well, and I mean, look, Mark Pankratz said this on Twitter, and it's true. Like, if Will Wade is coaching any games on the sideline this year, like, yeah. what what authority does anyone have over anything? But they do because this is still the system we have. Uh, and in this particular case, it's not like Tennessee can just play him anyway, unless you would like to forfeit all those games. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's no good, man. It's no good for anybody. I have a theory about forfeiting games as a penalty, though. Uh, I think it doesn't matter at all. You're talking asterisks in the uh, record book, and by that time, all the money's made. You know, it's all about the money. Um, you can't – you're not going to – tell everybody to give their t-shirts back or refund all the t-shirts they bought for the championship games and all that stuff. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Making people uh, forfeit games after the fact, after they've cut down the nets is just dumb. Anyway, that was uh, just a little brief side. It would be interesting to me. Like if they actually just tangibly tried to play him, you know, <laughs> like they dressed him out and then they sent him to the scores table 
and you know either referees were unaware or if they were i mean i'm sure it would lead to technical fouls and forfeiture and all that stuff like i say but if they just wanted to prove a point yeah uh it would be or that's i don't know but anyway all this uh the ncaa seems to be crumbling uh anyway under the weight of public opinion and and the nature of things changing and, and making progress and paying players and that sort of stuff. So hopefully this is not a problem for too much longer anyway, but uh, it's, it's a problem for Tennessee this year. Yeah. Did you see the sign at uh, game day for uh, SMU that uh, said we paid players before it was cool? Yeah. Well, my joke was going to be, was it SMU or Memphis that was holding oh. up that sign? So <laughs> that's uh, it's not, the uh, the the Memphis fan that held up the uh, again uh, let me say uh, my parents are both from the Memphis area my son's name is Covington because my dad is from Covington Tennessee in Tipton County just north of Memphis so I got lots of family there and all that good stuff and much love to you if you're listening to this podcast but the notion that Tennessee is little brother in a rivalry when Memphis has won one game in the history of the rivalry speaks to the quality of the education one receives at uh, Memphis State University so <laughs> oh, man. anyway. I am going to start a podcast uh, during basketball season. I'm going to ask one question. Will, talk about Memphis. And then I'm just yeah. going to I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to have coffee. And you're going to take the next 45 minutes. And then I'll come back. Well, it's just, you know, like we, we have in the DNA of a Tennessee fan is we are better at beating Alabama historically than anybody. But they beat us more than we beat them. And we're better at beating Kentucky in basketball than anybody. But they beat us more than them. So we are... That's the DNA of a Tennessee fan, and and in the sort of new money of the Florida rivalry, it's the same thing in the SEC East in football of like, we are we are number two, and we will beat number one more than anybody, but we're still number two. So there's that kind of little brotherness in there. So like, yes, I get it. I can I can talk about Kentucky basketball and Alabama football and all that, but I, I can I can read a scoreboard. The Memphis stuff I just do not get. Like, like once in football and a losing record historically in basketball and the absurd notion when Calipari was there that it was more beneficial for us to play them than them to play us. Again, like you can do better than that. You can make a better (laughs) argument than that. So I, I greatly December 14th Memphis at Tennessee in basketball. I greatly look forward to that matchup, which by the way, includes a big stud seven foot freshman for Memphis that Tennessee now will not have a seven-foot guy to come in and try to guard. So those guys are going to have to get more creative uh, in, in that particular matchup. So, uh, again, lots of this, – this rivalry is going to come back for like two years and then go away again forever because Barnes won't put up with this kind of nonsense from Penny Hardaway. But uh, while it lasts, going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of the, uh, the tall dudes, um, did you, did, did you uh, catch the exhibition game? Were you able to find that streaming somewhere? I couldn't, I didn't have a chance to watch it. And I, I am notorious for like, I just, it's exhibition. I, I just, uh, you jump to too many conclusions if that's your first impression, all that stuff. So I don't, I don't watch preseason NBA and I typically don't watch that either. This game Tuesday is basically an exhibition because I think UNC Asheville won four games last year. Oh, wow. So uh, this this is uh, this one will count Tuesday. So, yes, uh, watch it and enjoy. Uh, but it's I think it's going to be hard. I mean, Ken Palm has Tennessee winning by something like 24 or 25 off the bat. Uh, so I, 
that's a long answer to say no i did not i read the box score and the recaps but i did not watch the game i am bouncing all over the place but one of the things i i think i was i was somewhere so i missed the first half uh and then when i got home and uh was able to find the stream on the second half. I was only half watching the second half, but I did see uh, Fulkerson uh, do like a breakaway slam. And the commentator said, get that man some Frenchie fries. I enjoyed that a lot. So he's, yeah, he is. Again, if we were speeding up the brand ambassador pay players thing, that dude would have a pal. I don't even know if pals does any advertising. They do. I've never lived. In the in the Tri Cities market to know yeah. if they have television commercials. They do, and they're they're okay. kind of funny. Yeah. All right. Well, John Fulkerson, uh, if if they get that rule passed in time, uh, look, you know, Fulkerson. Remember, because he had that horrific injury, uh, he is only a redshirt junior, so uh, could be back on this. You know, this it would be outstanding, and it really could happen next year if Tennessee uh, starts. Uh, three five stars and Corey Walker, who's one of the highest four star recruits Tennessee has ever had, and John Fulkerson as a redshirt senior. I would enjoy that so much if they're like, this is the most talented Tennessee basketball team in the history of the program. Who's the starting five? Well, Fulkerson's in there. Like that, just I, I would love that. I think that would be great. I just like the idea that you can actually eat at Pals and pretend that you're going to be in shape because it works for John. So that's my whole philosophy. I'm going to bounce back to uh, Missouri and football because I'm wondering uh, how much are you looking forward to these next two games for the Tigers against Florida and Georgia? Yeah, there's uh, there is the the one percent chance that Tennessee has to win the SEC East uh, if if Missouri wins both of those games and uh, Texas A&M beats Georgia and Vanderbilt beats somebody and all that stuff. So yeah, for a minute it would be it would be nice to see. And, and truly, I mean, I make this argument about cheering for the Gators the first game of the year every year, and I know some people don't like it, but it's most helpful for Tennessee to beat these teams when they are better, to have these wins count for more. So there's a part of me that would love for Missouri to get one of these two games, if not both of them. If they get both of them, then we're going to be worried that, hey, this team is, is much better than us. But, um, you know, I, I, I would love to see them – uh, get something that gives Tennessee more opportunity to, to kind of make a splash. The schedule the way it is now, if you assume they lose both of these games, is there's just not a – that's the one thing that was nice about Kentucky last year is they came into Knoxville ranked 12th and gave you real opportunity, whereas now it's it's just kind of, you know, what feels like 500 teams. So uh, I'll be curious to see. I, I You know, Missouri has been much better at home this year uh, than on the road. Uh, and they get one of those games is at home. I can't remember which one, uh, Georgia or Florida, but uh, I'll be curious to see. But, uh, you know, I, I think Tennessee just uh, Tennessee's got to take care of their own business. And it's not that's the nice thing about beating South Carolina and beating UAB is now you don't have to have Missouri. Uh, you can you can do what Tennessee teams are supposed to do and just beat Kentucky and Vanderbilt and you can get bowl eligible. I subscribe to your theory about uh, wanting all of our opponents to win every game so that it makes our wins over them look better. But I think that's a better strategy uh, for when, uh, for later. <laughs> right now, I just want to beat them, and I don't want any good things for anybody. I had a real problem trying to figure out who to root for in the Florida-Georgia game because uh, I wanted both of them to lose, uh, which 
I don't think is possible. And so um, I, I, I finally just decided that I would feel less bad if Georgia won because I don't think I can stomach Florida regaining swagger right now because that's one of the most distasteful yeah, things I, ever is a Florida right. swaggered football team. Yeah, I, I think that was the best outcome for Tennessee. One, because, again, you can uh, Tennessee was compelling against Georgia for uh, Samaglia, who we praised and rightfully so earlier. If he makes that field goal, then Tennessee's down three uh, in the final minutes of the second quarter against that team. So uh, you, you feel much better about the way you played against the Bulldogs than you do uh, against the Gators. Two, Georgia winning kept that 1% SEC East hope uh, alive. Uh, and and three, again, we're talking about what's best for Tennessee. Uh, these these weird bowl scenarios, it's in Tennessee's best interest for Georgia and Florida, if you don't subscribe to the 1% SEC East theory, which you absolutely should not, you can subscribe to Georgia and Florida win the rest of their games. Uh, Georgia goes to Atlanta and loses in the SEC championship, but they go to the Sugar Bowl and Florida goes to uh, the Orange Bowl or wherever, another New Year's Six Bowl. Auburn goes to the Citrus Bowl, and then the Outback Bowl is going to be thinking, man, all those great teams are already taken. Who's left? And of the who's left category, Tennessee seven and five, they're going to be the best looking, you know, best looking bridesmaid there. So, uh, you know, that's 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 a real scenario. Uh, and and uh, so as much as it pains folks or would pain folks, you want to cheer for Georgia and Florida here the the rest of the way home. Uh, the real key to that scenario is getting two SEC teams in the playoffs. So whether that's Alabama and LSU or um, uh, the winner of that game and uh, Georgia upsetting them in the SEC championship or whatever, you need two, two SEC teams in the playoffs would be extremely helpful for everybody else's bowl hopes. That uh, Alabama-LSU game this week, that's going to be fun. Who do you and think? thankfully not at night, so we can watch it. Like, yes. that's a, it's great to have it at a different time slot than Tennessee. Yeah, who do you like in that one? I can't. I, it's too many years in a row. Uh, let's see. I feel like everybody's answer should be, let's see Tua on the first drive. Like, let's let's see, you know, how healthy is he really? Uh, but I, I just, um, I feel like, I don't know if I want to say this this way, but I, I feel like better LSU teams have have had their chances and could not cash in on them than this particular team going to Tuscaloosa. Like I just don't, uh, I got a hard time buying that. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think what Orgeron has done down there, he's the perfect fit for them. And I think that, uh, their willingness to change, uh, offensively has obviously been excellent. So, uh, I, I let's see Tua on the first drive. That's my, that's my answer to that question. All right. Freestyle. Anything, uh, we've missed that you want to talk about before we sign off? Uh, gotta help Tennessee that this week that the, uh, Florida state job is open now because yes. Stoops, I mean, there, I just don't see, maybe there's some kind of, there's some level of dysfunction at Florida state, which might include firing the coach, uh, midway through his second year, but maybe there's some level of dysfunction there that people just don't want any part of, but man, in what universe would you turn down Florida State to stay at Kentucky? I, I just don't I, – I don't see that. And so I don't see how Stoops can 
I, I don't see how he can carry out a, you know, I'm the coach here. This is where I want to be. That sort of message this week. If Florida state calls, you're at least going to pick up the phone if you're at Kentucky. So, uh, I, man, I hope that's, that's good timing for Tennessee this week. Uh, and it's just another notch in the, um, uh, Tennessee's got to finish this. We got to get to six wins before we're calling this thing a success here, because this is still the team that lost to Georgia state and, and lost to BYU. But, uh, year two, not going so hot for anybody, uh, other other than Dan Mullen, who was great in year one because he was great at Mississippi State and he's a great football coach. So, uh, you know, everyone else, Frost lost again yesterday. Yeah. Who was, you know, me and and shout out to Brad. You know, both of us were all over that guy, and I mean they they've got all kinds of issues there. Uh, Chip Kelly, maybe they're starting to turn the corner uh, a little bit, but I mean when you look around at Chad Morris. I mean, Oof. Arkansas is, yeah. He guaranteed uh, and, that loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they weren't competitive. I mean, it wasn't even. So uh, I think it goes to show uh, all the things that we were really terrified of uh, in September. Uh, those things are happening to Arkansas and just happened to Willie Taggart. So, uh, you know, it, those those weren't unfounded fears credit Pruitt and these guys for finding a way to get this thing turned around. And, and again, doing it not because one stud quarterback came in and changed everything, but because they're just, they're getting better and they've put together four weeks of exceeding expectations with a consistency we haven't seen around here in nine years. Uh, so we'll see, see if they can make it five. That is going to do it for this episode of the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Do us a favor, subscribe, give us a rating, leave a review, Bonus points if you include in your review the secret phrase, hot dogging. <laughs> so for Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth. This has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. I'm going to go do some hot dogging. What is your, my version of hot dogging is like maybe walking down the steps without holding the rail. It's as wild <laughs> as I get. It's- yeah, I, it's it's funny how having a kid, because I'm the same, I mean, I'm 6'3", so like, you know, taking steps four at a time or whatever is, is probably as, as close as that comes in terms of physical coordination hot-dogging. Like, I, my, my athletic pass is running cross-country on a mile and two-mile on track. There's no, like, there's, there's no hot-dogging available in those sports, so uh, I'm going to run backward. All right, dude. Uh, so... Uh, uh, but it's like, you know, having a two-year-old uh, <laughs> where, where, like, uh, everything on the steps is so careful and measured and all that stuff that, you well, know. When you have a two-year-old, you never know what's on the steps either. Yeah. So that's, that's dangerous just deciding to use the steps, especially, like, if it's dark. There could be a Lego. There could be a ball. You know, you could break your neck going up and down the steps. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm I'm constantly thinking to myself, not on the steps, but just in the living room. Like, like right now, I'm standing in the living room. I'm getting ready to turn the lights out and all that stuff. And I'm walking through, and I'm like, how many of your toys have wheels? Where like, <laughs> if you step on it in the dark, you are going places. And Down. it's just not. It is. This is a dangerous time. Uh, it is. It is a dangerous time to uh, to be 38 with a two-year-old. To say the least.